0: Thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Locations Unknown. Wherever you are, thank you for tuning in. I'm your co host Mike, and with us as always is Joe.
0: What's up, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, We just have a couple of updates. As always, we do have the merchandise available on our Facebook store, so please go on there and get some hats. Uh, We recently got a great photo from the Berg family. Their entire family was wearing the hats on their hike down in Arizona, so that was pretty cool. Uh, If you do have hats already, send us your pictures and we'll post them online. And as always, the show is brought to you by Verger CBD Products. And I recently, Mike, I just got um, their CBD bomb, and that stuff is amazing. What do you like, use it Like legitimate, I like I have sore joints. Yeah. If like I have like a tight muscle from working out or something, I where if it was bad enough, I used to take like ibuprofen or like a medication. Yeah. I'll rub this stuff on there, and in like ten minutes to twenty minutes, the pain is gone. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's I, a lot of times I just don't believe it's working. I give it to my wife all the time cuz she's super skeptical. She loves it. So go on there. Besides uh, skincare products, they do have, you know, honey, they have the tinctures pretty much all of your typical CBD products. So check them out. They support the show. It is vergermed.com. That's v e r d u r e m e d.com. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown.
1: May 25th, 1999. Carl Landers was on his second summit attempt of Mount Shasta in the California wilderness. An avid outdoorsman and runner, Carl was no stranger to the perils and difficulties of a technical mountain climb. While ascending Mount Shasta with his two close friends, Carl decided to head up the trail while his friends packed up camp. When they arrived at the next stop, Carl was gone. He had vanished into thin air. What happened to Carl? Where did he go? Are there any logical explanations? Join us this week as we try to uncover the truth behind the mysterious disappearance of Carl Landers
0: Mount Shasta and the area surrounding it are part of the Shasta Trinity National Forest the Shasta Trinity National Forest is located in California and is actually a potentially an active volcano at the southern end of the Cascade Range in Siskiyou County. Now, this is located in the northern part of California near the Oregon border. The oldest known human settlement in the area dates back to about 7,000 years ago. European Americans first visited the area in the 1820s and encountered nine different Native American tribes. The California Gold Rush of the early 1850s brought the first European American settlers. So this is... You know, just like California was showing up on maps later mm-hmm. in the founding as far as, you know, Native Americans were always settled there. But as far as your more modern time groups coming in, uh, yeah. early 1800s with real activity around the gold rush like much of California in the 1850s. Yeah, that's
1: really the only reason why a lot of these people went out there was the, you know, the hope to find gold. and uh, Crazy risk takers, which,
0: yeah. I mean, if you think that's why California is the way it is. Yeah, I'll, and I'll leave mean, it there. It,
1: <laughs> and it was, a, you know, a dangerous time for people to be in California in the 1850s. Obviously, like you said, there was a lot of Indian tribes out there, um, wildlife, a treacherous terrain. So, you know, not an easy life, and a lot of people, a lot of people died. Absolutely. So, in this area, the closest
0: city is Mount Shasta City. It's got a population of 3,302, and that was taken in two. 2017 so this is a low populous area so really I would say it's got to be more touristy the reason the attraction because it's the only major mountain in that area
1: yeah you know I kind of picture like a city like Breckenridge okay when I think of Mount Shasta I know Breckenridge is much higher elevation but kind of that's what I'm picturing I it exists
0: more as a tourist location than as like a gateway or a major town for economy yeah i mean it
1: sounds like you know people that climb the mountain will stay in mount shasta city the night before they head out um hikers would do the same i'm sure if we ever did mount shasta we would probably stay in the city as well
0: oh yeah i i want Um, to but as as i'll uh Get too soon I, I, when we talk about this. It's, it's very technical. So, we're going to have to brush up on our ice climbing before we, we, go, we go out to <laughs> <Yeah>. Mount Shasta. There's <laughs> not a lot of ice climbing available at uh, southeastern Wisconsin, but. No. <laughs> so, we'll go over uh, a couple of interesting historical facts about the mountain in the area. The first ascent of Mount Shasta occurred in 1854 by Elias Pierce after several failed attempts. And in 1856, so just two years later, the first woman and their party reached the summit. So this is one thing that I think a lot of people don't know, Mike, and it actually came out a lot with the recent news about the Everest stuff. Yeah. It's not technically a mountain summit unless you get back down. Really? Yes. And I did not know that until um, I did Long's Peak initially, and they talked about the first woman that would have been attributed with summiting died on the way down, so they technically couldn't give her the summit. So it went to another woman. Wow. But yeah, if you make it up the mountain and get to the top and don't make it down, you technically did not
1: summit that mountain. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. You get, get to the top, make it halfway back down and then, uh, yeah, you fall or something. Or even if, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's not
0: even death. If you have to be airlifted off or anything like that for medical emergency, it does not count. And there's, there's some people in the mountain climbing community who will you know fight tooth and nail to say you did not summit that mountain because you did not make it back <laughs> under your own
1: power yeah interesting so so i can't go up everest and have a sherpa carry me down i didn't technically summit i don't know if they talk <laughs> yeah i wonder if it's uh if there's
0: like a <laughs> loophole there because it's not powered <laughs> like, yeah like if you're if he like where is he like a backpack and then yeah <laughs> i think everyone there would just make fun of you yeah, But yeah, I don't think that will work. So there, there's some interesting stuff about this mountain in particular. I think a lot of it is because it's got volcanic activity, but there's a ton of legends and lore, and it will follow up nicely to our last episode. So there's some lore from the Klemath tribes in the area held that Mount Shasta is inhabited by the spirit of the above world, Skel, who descended from heaven to the mountain summit at the request of the Klamath chief. Now, Skell fought with the spirit of the below world, which is Lao, who resided at Mount Mazama by throwing hot rocks and lava. And they're saying that's, <laughs> represented, that, that's probably represented by the eruption. So yeah. think about way before science and the knowledge base. You're at the base of this mountain, and maybe it hasn't done anything for a while, so your entire life it's dormant. Now, all of a sudden, it starts spitting out liquid hot rock.
1: They're yeah. going to
0: attribute to some crazy whatever so you have the chief of that tribe calling down a
1: spirit to fight the demon who's shooting lava and rocks out of your mountain i can't even imagine it would you know yeah you're you have no basis of science and you just see the the earth just spewing oh, well, stuff it's, out it's terrifying it when would you. Terrify know it's, you.
0: yeah it's terrifying when you know what's happening but it's it, it makes me think of a really funny um thing i saw on the internet just a comment of like could you imagine what was going through the mind of the first human to see a sunset (laughs) 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 like like if you think about it like this thing this giant ball of light just slowly disappearing that must have been terrifying so that's obviously more of a joke but anyway so we'll get back to reality here so the shasta the wintu the akumawai Sugawai, and the Modoc tribes all have territory around this mountain. So those are all Native American tribes. And they conduct many sacred ceremonies. I think even still to this day, they do rituals and things like that for the mountain. Mm -hmm. So the Native Americans believe that the mountain was the sacred center of the universe and being a home of the creator. So they thought this was like the place in the entire universe for the creator. The Wintu tribe even trace their people's origin back to a sacred spring right in that area. So this holds a lot of sacred meaning and ritual to the Native American tribes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now here's a a neat story uh, that really plays in well to our Alaska Triangle show. So there's (laughs) the story of the Lemurians. Now this is a race of higher dimensional beings from the crystal city that is inside the mountain. And the city's name is called Telos. So legend says that the Lemurians originally lived in the ancient continent of Lemuria that was in the North Pacific Ocean many, many thousands of years ago and went to war with Atlantis. So the Lemurians, I'm assuming we're losing this war, so they fled and mm-hmm. they hid inside Mount Shasta. And in the 1940s, now we're getting real recent, there were apparent reports of people who, who were seven feet tall, dressed in long white robes and sandals, going to the general store to buy supplies (laughs) and paid for their purchases with chunks of gold. Wow. So the shopkeeper would take the gold, turn around to try and give them change, and the Lemurians would disappear. So (laughs) you have this race of people who can just apparate, but they need to go to the local... (laughs) the general store to get supplies so um and then lastly some locals believe that uh, the saucer shaped lenticular clouds that often gather at the summit and i've actually seen this when i was in africa um when you have these peaks that don't have a mountain range around them they get these Mm -hmm. perfectly disc shaped lenticular clouds right at the summit yeah well they think those are engineered by the lemurians to camouflage alien cargo ships which are which are docking at the city of telos Wow. Again, they have these <laughs> ships docking of cargo, but they got to go to the general store every now and then because, you know, well, sometimes you, know. You, you just need floss or something.
1: Yeah, you got to get a <laughs> pack of smokes or something. Yeah, maybe, you
0: know, you know Amazon Prime <laughs> might be a bit quicker than the alien cargo ships. So.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that is uh, that fits right in with our episode uh yeah. our last episode yeah most recently this is the last one for the
0: uh, in August 1987 believers in the spiritual significance of harmonic convergence you know fit that all in you know say that all 10 times fast uh, they describe Mount Shasta as one of the small number of global power centers so Mount Shasta still to this day remains a focus of new age attention so as as early as the late 80s you know there there's people who still think that that has significant power uh, as a yeah. landmark and, and part of the globe.
1: So yes, yeah, su- to summarize all that, there's basically what you're saying, a lot of supernatural things going on Ab- at Mount Shasta.
0: Absolutely. And, and you have, <laughs> you have, you know, you mix in like some of the stories with, you don't know how credible they are, but you have a yeah. long, long history of this having an effect. And I won't get into the other show. You guys have to listen to it if you didn't, but there are those areas. And we talked about that, that are scientifically proven that have different gravitational fields that have different. Magnetic effects on the body. So, I I truly believe there can be things that happen in certain points in the world, and they really believe that this is one of those spots. I don't know if they've done any testing there to confirm that, but there's enough people talking about it and enough kind of weird, unexplainable events that occur that lead you to believe that there's something going on at Mount Shasta. So, pretty cool. Some really neat history that dates back thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So now I'll jump into uh, the climate and things that are more relevant or could be relevant to this case. So climate of Mount Shasta experiences typical mountain weather, which means it can be warm and pleasant at the base, and then when you get up to the summit, it's snowy below freezing, so completely different climate entirely. It can be subject to random storms that come up out of nowhere, so you have your issues there. One example is... The city of Mount Shasta is at 3,500 feet, can be 83 degrees and sunny, Well, the summit's 28 degrees and got wintry weather.
1: Yeah, and that, that temperature reading was actually from today. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it, was it was 83. So it 83 and sunny and 28 at the summit. Yep. Just imagine, I think, what's the uh, temperature goes down by how many degrees every 1,000 feet. It's like, uh, I should know this, but... So you can imagine that, you know, it's 83 degrees on, you know, 3528 at the summit. You know, in the winter it's going to be below 0. Oh
0: yeah, you're going to have very high winds and treacherousness in the winter and yep. this this is an aggressive mountain too because a lot of times like when you're doing 14ers in Colorado, you're starting at 9,000, sometimes even 10,000 feet. The yeah. city's at 3,500. So this is definitely a more aggressive 14er yep. compared to ones that I've even, I've ever done.
1: Yeah, and you know a lot of what I read about the mountain too is, and we talked about this is because the mountain is kind of isolated. There's no other peaks around it. It's kind of a magnet for weather. Oh, so, okay.
0: So they're getting a lot of lightning storms.
1: Yeah, you get a lot of crazy weather in the summer. Um, you know, frequent lightning. They can the wet. You can get hurricane force winds above eight thousand feet.
0: Yeah, I was saying they're over a hundred miles an hour sometimes at yeah. the tree line. Yep. I don't care how good I don't care how good your tent is. I mean if you got no. if you got a four season tent like welded the ground sure but 100 yeah. mile an hour winds it's going to it's going to shred the fabric.
1: Yeah, they it, they said after 74 miles per hour you're not going to be able to stand. It's going to destroy any well anchored tent. So yeah. your only chance is maybe if you dig a pit and you have your tent down in the pit, you might be able to weather it out but sure or like b- behind boulders or something to act as a really big windbreak. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so just wild weather. And that adds to the difficulty when people try to climb. it. I was going
0: to say for experienced climbers, I can see the attraction because it's not a tall mountain, but it's a very difficult one. That's what it seems like is like you can on good weather days. I'm sure it's not very difficult for experienced guys. But, yeah, I mean, you do this with me. I mean, we kind of like going through, you know, it's not a, a nice, fuzzy, sunny day. You know, a yeah. little bit, of, a little bit of, of difficulty adds to the whole story. It adds to the pageantry of everything. You know, yep. doing a mountain summit in a blizzard that's also lightning is pretty cool. <laughs> it really is. Like, it's very dangerous to be on the summit, but if you're below summit and you're safe and it's, you know, high winds, blizzarding, there's there's snow lightning going on. It's a really neat experience if you if you enjoy that type of thing. My wife's a, a warm weather person; she would hate it, but I, yep, I really enjoy that.
1: Yeah, and uh, it, it sounds like you can experience a lot of that on this mountain. So, Oh, yeah, that's
0: that's what it, it's saying. Well, it's saying the best times to climb are, are May to mid-July on the south and yep. west sides. Uh, yeah. So basically saying go in summer. Otherwise, yep. it is possible in winter, but it's incredibly dangerous because it just gets super extreme. You have avalanches, falling ice. Pretty much all the routes get obscured. So, I mean, you have to be highly trained. To be doing yeah. that, and they're saying, you know, carry avalanche beacons, shovels, you're on like Everest-style crampons, snow axes, you have to know what you're doing or you will just die.
1: Yeah, it's not somewhere that beginners should, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> start off climbing. Um, it's definitely a mountain that you go to after you're kind of a seasoned climber. sure. And uh, you know, do not underestimate the environment on this mountain. That's you know the impression I got from everything I read.
0: Well and that it's just really hark is the point that no two14ers are alike because there's some yep. you can just you know sandals and shorts no I would never wear that but I mean there's some <laughs> that you can do in a couple hours because where the starting point is and this yeah. is an example of one that's just ridiculous. It'd be very difficult to do. no beginner could do it probably at all unless you had, really good guides that were willing to risk their lives with you. Um, But yeah, treacherous mountain. Um, And I think, I don't want to overstate it too much, but I think it plays into the type of people who even attempt it to set aside like that Carl, and you'll get into this, but Carl wasn't just like a dude on vacation. He was like, hey, that's a cool mountain. Let's go give it a shot. Yeah. So types of danger outside of everything we just went over. No real big animal danger. Black bears are the biggest thing you're going to run into. Scare them off. Coyotes. Yeah, coyotes. Nothing that's going to really pose a threat to a group of uh, people that are doing a mountain climb. Terrain, it's four major uh, overlapping volcanic cores. Excuse me. So the last time it erupted was 1786, and they have seven named glaciers um, to get up there at a very complicated summit. So it seems like the last really the last leg of your journey is pretty much a giant technical climb.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's on snow and ice. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it not only is it you're climbing, but you you're adding in that factor of snow and ice. So it it makes it more difficult and it's steep. And uh, depending on what time of the year you're going, you might be dealing with, um, you know, falling ice. Oh, sure. For avalanches. Even just
0: climbing it, you can get breakaway when you're climbing up the ice face. So if you have a group of people, it's that's where that experience comes in. You can't go like underneath each other. You kind of got to go sideways up the mountain so you don't kill the guys below you. And there's a lot of stuff going on there. It's, it's,
1: it takes a lot of brain power as well as willpower. This would be <laughs> a mountain that I would definitely take along a kind of one of those emergency beacons. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Last couple things, risk of
0: exposure, very high because of the low temperatures, wind lightning. So all your basic mountain risks plus extra being so technical and exposed. Uh, Again, like you said, Mike, it's not in a range of mountains that can kind of break things up. This is getting beat from all sides. Mm -hmm. So lack of shelter, again, once you get up the tree line, unless you're digging out, you're pretty much exposed. So I'd say all in all, if we haven't said enough already, difficulty, very high, very difficult.
1: Yeah, this is not a hike that amateurs go on. It's for experienced climbers. So as we get into the the character profile, you'll, you'll see that the people that we discuss are, you know, relatively experienced. So, um, you don't get the impression that they shouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with that, Mike, let's learn about Carl Landers.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Carl Herbert Landers, uh, male age 69. If he was, if he's alive now, he'd be about 89 years old. He was five foot nine inches, weighed 150 pounds. So, <clears throat> you can tell uh, this guy is in pretty good shape. He had uh, gray hair. Uh, the clothing that he was last seen in would be winter climbing gear. So, from everything we read, these men were well prepared to summit Mount Shasta. So, so, he had all
0: the right equipment. He's an older guy, which some might say, you know, risk weather for his abilities, but I would say experienced. If he's that yeah. old and doing it, he's in great shape and has done it before.
1: Yeah. So, he, um, one of his hobbies, it, Obviously he, he runs a lot. So he was part of a running club, which is where he actually met the two other guys that he hiked or attempted the summit with, but he also has a hobby of summiting the other peaks in California. So he's done other 14 footers. So, you know, this isn't his first rodeo. So he kind of knows what he's getting into, you know, a lot of his personality trait, and this is from his friends They would say he's not a great athlete, but he enjoys the challenge of sports, so um, (laughs) It's kind of a weird comment.
0: So so these guys, yeah, these guys he's with, uh, is he normally doing
1: these mountains with these people? You know, it didn't say if he's summited other mountains with these two gentlemen, but I would take it if if you're gonna do a technical climb with somebody, I'm guessing you have climbed with them before. I'm assuming. So it mentioned that. So the two guys that went climbing with him were Milt Gaines and Barry Gilmore. Okay. Um, I don't know the age of Milt Gaines, but Barry was 70 years old and they both were referred to as long term friends of Carl's. So, okay, those are those are
0: probably his climbing buddies.
1: And Barry Gilmore is a very from what I gathered, a very fit man. He was a from 1961 to 1966 uh, naval air uh, air pilot. So he flew off carriers, Midway, uh, Hankook and enterprise. And then for 33 years after he uh, left the military, he was a airline pilot for American airlines. So, um, and he was a part of this running club along with Carl and Milt. So, you know, okay. all these guys are in uh, excellent shape. They made it a habit um, of being in shape as a hobby. Yeah. And, um, one of the one of the funny comments uh, Barry mentioned about Carl was this kind of goes back into the thing about being an athlete. He goes, he stated Carl wasn't an outstanding athlete, but he was a good runner. He <laughs> he wasn't a great scuba diver. Uh, or no, he uh he said he had gone scuba diving with Carl, and he wasn't the best swimmer. And he had gone skiing with him, but he wasn't the best skier. So <laughs> he does he takes all these risks and does all of these cool things, but he's not really you know. He's not the best at it. So maybe, you know, that maybe that's a hint into possibly what happened to Carl. Maybe he made mistakes. It sounds kind of um, like me. <laughs> <laughs> that's all of us. I just dabble in everything. To get back into Carl, you know, his main occupation was uh, an engineer by trade. I didn't say what type of engineering, but for about a decade before he went missing, he actually worked as a salesperson for train heating and air conditioning. So I, I'm imagining. He probably worked till he was in his late 50s and then retired, but you know a lot of people when they retire they kind of get antsy. Oh yeah. And they got to be doing something. Sure. So he probably, you know, was doing the salesperson job just kind of to keep busy.
0: Yeah, I can see that. A job that keeps him on his feet is not very difficult.
1: And uh one of the things he d- he loved doing was running, so for 30 years he would run every morning. One year his dream actually came true when he got He was allowed to run in the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon. Oh, wow. Yeah. They said he ran a respectable time of five and a half hours and it's a 26.2 mile course. So, you know, very good for him. Yeah. Yeah. For 69 years old. And like we said, he had a lot of experience in the wilderness. He's uh, done many of the other peaks in California. So I would say he's a proficient climber and experienced hiker. Sure. You know, a guy like Carl, you would expect if something happened, he would, you know, make the right decisions. And he even was experienced in this location. It, it mentioned uh, May 1998, Carl attempted to summit the mountain, uh, but not but he didn't end up earning the summit and ended up sliding down the mountain with his ice axe. Jeez. But he <laughs> vowed to return. So, geez, um, he must have had some type of accident where he slid down. But so he's familiar with the area. He's familiar with the mountain. He's familiar with the conditions, obviously, because you know he was up there when it was, uh, you know, May. So that's kind of you know a little outside of the ideal climbing time. Okay. So. So I'd say he's not young and dumb, but
0: he had a failed attempt. So you have yeah. a little bit of the, a little bit of the need to finish what you started. So that could play a little bit into this as well.
1: Yeah, I think you know maybe the second summit he kind of was pushing ahead maybe when he shouldn't and you know something happened you know as as i get into the timeline we'll explain what happened uh it doesn't make any sense to me it's sounding
0: more and more like me i'm i'm gonna hit capital peak sometime soon this summer to finish it because i didn't summit last time
1: yeah (laughs) well don't end up like carl well make sure you do like
0: a (laughs) two-hour show on me if i get if i don't
1: i don't have to find a
0: new host yeah
1: (laughs) That's the only and reason. And obviously I'd feel bad for your family. <laughs> Oh,
0: there it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> but more importantly, we we can't, we need to fill a slot here.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, go on, Mike. Okay. So, you know, that is the basic profile of Carl. Okay. So now I'm going to get in the timeline and this is a, a really great case. We, unlike a lot of our other cases, the timeline is pretty sketchy. Sometimes it's due to just a lack of information. Other times it's due to the case being, you know, 50 years old.
0: Yeah, age of the case and improper
1: documentation or misplacing entire departments of records. Exactly. But, uh, you know, with this case, the fact that there were two other guys hiking with him, we have basically hour-by-hour timelines of what happened, which is unusual for so far for the cases we've done. So the route that they were planning to... Uh, summit the mountain. It starts at Bunny Flat Trailhead, which is at about sixty eight hundred feet, and a distance to the summit. The distance to the summit of Mount Shasta is around six miles. So, you know, people who haven't uh, done a lot of alpine hiking, you might be thinking six miles. I could do that in a yeah, morning. Yeah, that's super but
0: aggressive.
1: That's a that's a long way to go. You know, you're going from sixty eight hundred to fourteen one, and you've got a lot of gear on your back. Yeah, and it's that, not, that it's elevation like gain is insane. That's, that's insane yeah, it, elevation. You're not on a paved trail. You're, you're going up a lot of rough rock and uh, ice and snow. So it's, it's a tough hike. So six miles you well, know, they're probably saying, would take saying They're you. saying
0: from the trailhead to Lake Helen, which is only three and a half miles, that's yeah. at 10,400 feet. So that's like 3,000 plus feet of elevation gain. in th- That's 1,000 feet a mile.
1: Of yeah, and game.
0: that's that's crazy.
1: Um, even before Lake Helen, there's a camping spot called Fifty Fifty, and a lot of the hikers will they'll go up to Lake Helen and they'll stay overnight there, and then they'll make their summit attempt the next morning because uh, you would have to be in Olympic level shape and to be a really experienced climber to be able to do the summit in one day. Yeah, I think the Rangers probably would. Advise not to do that. Yeah, I don't see how that would be
0: very safe to no. for for the mag- like ninety nine percent of the people that would try and yeah. even do this. Or even even when you get down to the people who are capable of doing it, I feel like it would not be safe for the majority of those people to even attempt.
1: Yeah. So, like we said, uh, the summit starts at the Bunny Flat trailhead at 6,800 eight hundred feet. Six miles to the summit from bunny from Bunny Flat. People usually go to fifty fifty. We'll stop off there. That's usually not an overnight spot for most people. And then you go from fifty fifty to Lake Helen and then Lake Helen up to the summit. Um from and from fifty fifty, this is gonna play a factor into Carl's disappearance. From fifty fifty to Lake Helen is only like six hundred and sixty feet. And oh, it kind of wow. like curves around the mountain. So it's it's not very far. Okay Yeah, so when I get into kind of more of the details and is of the that timeline a hike.
0: Is that like a six hundred sixty feet of just like hiking around to a specific point before you start your summit attempt?
1: Yeah, fifty fifty is kind of like a. I think it's a camping site. I'm not sure, but a lot of people will stop there and then so it's they'll f- head up to like a flat Helen for area
0: that's that's yeah. big enough that you can just relax, chill out there until it's time to move on to the next point.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So we'll get into the timeline now. So it's May twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, Carl is once again heading to Mount Shasta to try to summit the mountain. And on this uh, attempt, he's going with two long-term friends, Milt Gaines and Barry Gilmore. Carl ended up driving for five hours and met the other two men at Mount Shasta City. So the the night of the 23rd, they stayed in a motel room. Okay. And they were all prepared. It mentioned they, they had ice axes, crampons. They had the proper gear, you know, proper attire so they were ready to go
0: so it wasn't one of those like it started out bad with oh Carl forgot this or Barry forgot this one thing but they they didn't they didn't think it would be a big deal and they
1: pushed on it's not like that like Carl started with shorts and sandals on yeah <laughs> it, it's May so it, it's not ideal climbing conditions um, we don't know the the weather at the time. We do have reports from the two men that it, the weather wasn't great and there was a lot of snow, but we don't have any official reports yeah, of the very, weather. Yeah,
0: it's very early in the season to start climbing.
1: Yeah. So, all right, let's move ahead to May 24th, 1999, 4 a.m. So the three men get up, leave the hotel. Barry drove the three of them in his four-wheel drive vehicle to the trailhead at Bunny Flat for the summit attempt. Okay. Um Early morning of the twenty fourth, uh, Milt and Barry explained that there were ten to twelve foot snowdrifts at the start of the climb at Bunny Flat. Oh wow! So I'd be thinking to myself, "This isn't good. We're we're at the trailhead and we've got twelve foot snowdrifts." Yeah, drifts. there's
0: already high winds down. <laughs> at, there's if there's that that many high winds down at the base, it's just going to get worse as you go up.
1: Yeah. So the, the men decided to make the three to four mile hike up the mountain to a location where uh, the Sierra Club had an old cabin called Horse Camp.
0: Okay, so they knew of an actual structure they could get to. Yeah. I would, I, say, I would say that changes things because, like you said, if I wouldn't go, but if it's three or four miles, I'd say that's short enough, even in treacherous, yeah. that you could turn around. But yep. if they know their way and there's an actual physical cabin there, that's something I might do.
1: Now, an interesting note that the men stated during the search was Carl was on this altitude sickness medicine called Diamox. Yep, I took that in Africa. Yeah, I I actually had that when I was out in Breckenridge. I took some. Mm -hmm. Um, So for most people, Diamox, am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for most people, Diamox uh, will reduce the symptoms of headache, tiredness, nausea, dizziness, shortness of breath, all the things that any of you that are listening have, have felt when you've been at altitude. And it generally is advised for people above 10,000 feet. But also, the, a funny thing about this medication is its side effects are almost the exact same thing. It's a curing, so dizziness, lightheadedness, <laughs> increased urination, um, especially during the first... You know, a few days, blurred vision, dry mouth, drowsiness, loss of appetite, stomach issues, <laughs> headache and tiredness. So literally, it's like a lottery. You take it and either it's going to fix all those things for you or you're going to have side effects and get all of those. Yeah, things. I so, come from
0: the farmer world. That's basically them saying that <laughs> you see that in everything because partially it's it's I mean, you worked with me, Mike. We've done those studies. They kind of yeah. put everything out there. Basically, what that means is it works really well for some people, not for others. So yeah. you should know how you react to it. Because if you take it and you get those bad symptoms, you're probably always going to get those, and you shouldn't use it. Versus, yep. for me, it's a it's a major diuretic for me, so I always make sure I'm drinking a ton of water when I'm on it. Yeah, but outside of that, it works really well
1: for me. So, um, I think this uh, medication that Carl was on for his altitude sickness has you know plays a big role in uh what happened to Carl. I'll get we can get into our theories later. I think but, it's possible.
0: Did they mention if he regularly took it when he did mountains or if this was like a first time
1: thing? No, there was no mention of how long he was on it, how frequently he took it. it okay. They just mentioned that he was on it at the time of this summit and they they feel the two guys said this, that they they feel there was some possible adverse effect on his system
0: yeah it's it's one of those drugs that can be very effective in the way where when I was going up the side of Kilimanjaro yeah I was getting that very like where you just want to fall asleep the long sleep stuff I mean it's not like I was on Everest but I was totally getting that going up the side as we got at altitude like I just want to lay down and go to sleep forever type feeling yeah and then all of a sudden that stuff kicked in I felt it and I felt like I was at ground level again like, I was, I had all the energy. I had no issues, whatever. And I was able to get down the mountain back to base camp
1: just fine. I, uh, unfortunately, when I was on the big island when we hiked up the volcano in Hawaii, we were at about 13.5 or 13.6. And by the end of the night, I actually had altitude sickness and we didn't have any medications. So, yeah, that's, um, the, that's the worst, man. Shooting headache. Um, there was this real, like, shack at the top of the volcano that I thought had fleas and everything in it and just laying down just (laughs) miserable feeling yeah and that's and that's honestly some of the best uh side effects you can get I mean it's it's really
0: like the worst ones are when you start making bad decisions yep so I mean that's it's it can it can be a lot worse than just a headache so it's it's always good when it's just those types of things
1: yeah for me I mean I had um I had some painkillers that I took and I was able to get a few hours of sleep and actually the next morning I woke up feeling pretty good, but, um, yeah. So the men that were hiking with him mentioned that he was on this medication. So, all right. So they've, they've reached this place called horse camp. Mm -hmm. And so after reaching horse camp, uh, Carl had to stop and go behind a tree or a boulder because he had diarrhea. So this makes me think that this medicine he was on was starting to affect, affect him. And if anyone's unfortunately a diarrhea, you know, it, it can really, if you're not drinking a lot of fluids, you can get dehydrated pretty fast.
0: Yeah. I would almost guess it, it wouldn't be the meal because of how fit he was. Yeah. He's probably eating healthy regularly. And you know, I'm, I'm guessing that they didn't have just a giant grease meal before their big climb. You know, not like like we do. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know we do. And then it's even worse when I come back down.
1: (laughs) I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, so obviously Carl at this point is having some, you know, intestinal problems, but the men continued on and they made it to this, the location called Fifty Fifty that I mentioned this earlier. Okay. And it's approximately 600 feet below Lake Helen, which is a major stop for most climbers. That's the, like I said, that's the lake where most climbers will stop for the night and then they'll get up early in the morning, make the summit. Whenever you're summiting a mountain, and I think Joe, you know this, you want to try and get up as early as you can. Oh yeah,
0: and beat the morning rush. <laughs> yeah, beat the morning rush. But then you have like your better chance at calm weather. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like, so if they have those giant snow drifts, they're hiking through snow drifts again, not a long distance, but if they're stomping through snow, he's yep. got diarrhea. Um, you're already starting to to dip into if he's drinking enough water or not to supplement what he's losing, which I'm sure was a lot. And you, yeah. it's sometimes hard to realize how much water you're losing when it's cold because you don't feel the sweaty and the hot and the sticky, but you're yep. still losing all of that liquid. Um, so I wonder well, if you're you not know, – he's like early onset losing a ton of the mo- ton of water and getting into dehydration.
1: Yeah, and I mean the thing about that dehydration is um, once you start feeling the effects of it, it's almost – Oh, it's too, too late. late. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, too at that late. point. You're going to you're in serious trouble.
0: Yeah. You need to drink a ton of water and not do
1: anything. But typically people keep going. Yep. So um, it's it's now early afternoon on May 24th, 1999. The men reported that the wind bl- was blowing uh, very hard. Um, so they decided to stop, set up camp at fifty fifty. They dug uh, their three person tent deep into the sand and stayed there for the night. Milton Berry, remember uh, Carl leaving several times again with um, diarrhea. So obviously, this was affecting him in the morning. It's affecting him in the evening. Um, We have no reports on, you know, if he was, you know, getting enough fluids, but I'd imagine you'd start getting pretty dehydrated at that point. Yeah. And if he's getting
0: dehydrated and he's starting to feel altitude sickness, and if he's getting bad enough or he's making you know, not making the best decisions. He might not be drinking enough water and thinking he is. Yeah. So,
1: okay. So it's now May 25th, 1999, uh, early morning. Uh, At this point, their tent was rattling, battling the winds. Um, It was estimated at the time the winds were exceeding 70 miles per hour as they were kind of whipping around the mountain. So the men were kind of peering out of their tent And they could see people heading down the trail from Lake Helen past them, kind of going down the mountain. So you can imagine this huge storm is blasting through. Well, it was going all night, it
0: sounds like. I mean, they dug in because of the high winds. And now they're experiencing those same winds still early morning. And there's people actually leaving that were probably going to summit that are starting to just bail and say, no way.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I mean, this is a decision a lot of people if you're, you know, climbing a mountain, you got to make a decision. All right, do we have enough you know, supplies to hunker down here for the weather to clear, or do we, you know, we just pack up, and try this again another time because Sure. You don't know how long that storm's going to last. It could go days. Yep, absolutely. Like I said, they saw people going down the mountain past them from Lake Helen. They decided to stay uh, and kind of ride the storm out, so they stayed in their tent and in their sleeping bags. Uh, they mentioned their tent was positioned Tied up against the mountain between a few large boulders. So they were adequately protected from the wind. And it says they waited a few more hours and the wind subsided. And then <laughs> funny thing is they saw climbers coming back up.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, <laughs> so I, I
0: wonder if other climbers couldn't even stake in their tents and that's why they were moving down. Yeah. So I'm they might have been thinking, hey, let's wait this out as well, but they were in a bad spot and couldn't do it. So maybe these guys picked a great spot to anchor in.
1: Yeah, my guess is, yeah, they, they were up higher where there was less cover. And, you know, I, I've i tried to, on Mount Rainier, I tried to set up my tent and driving rain and wind. And, I mean, the wind was probably 20 miles an hour, and it was, it was impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, so now it's um, still May 25th. It's late morning now. And as a group, Milt, Carl, and Barry decide to hike the quarter mile to Lake Helen, um however they you know they didn't think they would summit this day but they wanted to get up there kind of see how the weather would play out and you know maybe make the attempt so this is that like 650 foot hike you're talking about yeah okay so they, they got to go like 650 feet from 50 50 to lake helen but
0: it was around like around a bend or around a corner so you could because yeah. i mean on a mountain especially if it's like even a little bit up or a little bit down you could see that far
1: yeah from what i read it, it kind of curves around the mountain all right but it's so. still a super short distance Super short relatively distance, speaking. Yeah. So uh, as Barry and Milt were kind of packing the tent up and getting their bags ready, they saw Carl kind of just strangely standing and staring off in the distance, and they mentioned that he appeared cold. You know, you can think maybe he's got some hypothermia starting in from yeah, a long night I'm of kind to of— I'm starting think
0: it's a mix of dehydration, hypo, which can make hypothermia worse because yep. if your blood pressure is already low from not having enough fluid— you're putting strain yeah. there. He's cold. And
1: altitude sickness. That's not a good recipe. No. Now the next thing that happens, I I'm a I kind of disagree with what Milt and Barry did, mm-hmm. but Milt basically told, you know, told Carl to start walking for Lake Helen and that they would meet him there. So they were gonna. They wanted him to get going first. They were gonna pack everything up and then meet him up there. I usually whenever I'm hiking with with you guys or with whoever, I, I usually like to keep the group together. Yeah. And not split off, especially if, you know, one person in the group is kind of acting strange and looking sick. I'm definitely not gonna send that person up the trail ahead of us by themselves. Yeah, so, for sure. I get it that it's only six hundred feet, but I don't know.
0: Well we had this <laughs> we had this happen at Long's Peak. We were with uh it was a it was a group of five and four of us yeah. were ahead and there was one guy that was behind so two of us kept going two stayed behind to wait for him to you know to have that one on one and when we yeah. caught up to the other two guys they were actually in Boulder Field which is just below the summit and it was getting hit by like torrential winds blizzard conditions and yeah. one of the guys in the group actually had some level altitude sickness where he actually changed his clothes because his other clothes were wet no he legitimately yeah. just undressed and put on his dry clothes which then also got wet and as wow. we were coming around the corner he was with the other guy and they were coming back and we we're like hey where are you going they're like back to the car and granted it was like five o'clock at night and we we're ready to set up tent yeah. and the car is at the base and we're like no you need to lay down and we just got him water wrapped him up real tight and made him stay but yeah. if he was by himself he would have just wandered off yeah. And, and I mean, I'm making he, a good decision, like, screw this. I'm going to the car. But he literally yeah. was thinking, like, I can just go to the car real quick. And it's like, no, that's another seven to eight hours of hiking and you're already <laughs> cold and you're wet. And yeah. he, he could have been a casualty of the mountain very easily that way.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's another good example of how quickly, you know, even experienced climbers can get disorientated and start making bad decisions when yeah, they're dehydrated. Yeah, and this, this guy or, has
0: done mountains, and it's it's yeah. totally, and they say altitude sickness can hit anyone, anytime, for any reason, no matter how used to the mountains you are, whatever. It doesn't I matter. I think
1: that's the, that's the biggest killer on Everest is altitude sickness, isn't oh, yeah. it?
0: Well, that and yeah. no oxygen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Recently, is they ran out of air, a- waiting in a traffic jam. Yeah. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, the, we talk about in the other episodes where you just start stripping your clothes down because you think you're burning up, yeah. and you or just people just walk off and just fall off a cliff, like not understanding because yeah. when you get altitude sickness, especially in that high, your brain starts swelling and you put pressure on the brain in the wrong way, it's gonna make you do crazy yep. things.
1: So, like I said, uh, Milt told Carl to start walking to Lake Helen and him and Barry were going to stay behind at 5050 uh pack up all their stuff and then they would meet him up there. Milt told uh so like I said Milt told Carl that they would finish packing and hit the trail quickly. Barry and Milt left the packed tent at 5050 and inside of 30 minutes they were heading for Lake Helen. So Approximately... this is they're behind him a half hour, not even. Yeah. Okay. Half hour and they they left all their gear at 5050 cuz I think they they were just going to go up to Lake Helen to kind of scope out the weather and so this you know. okay this is close
0: enough that they can run up take a look yep. come back get their stuff and go back if they need to
1: yeah wow so, so that that is okay because
0: like I yeah. said I was wondering is this 650 feet but there's technical climb this is probably nope. just a quick just a trail hike around, a trail around the corner see what see what it looks like come
1: back and get yeah. your gear if it looks good. So now something interesting happens. Halfway between 50-50 and Lake Helen, Barry told Milt that he wasn't feeling well. So he was going to head back to 50-50, grab the tent, and then meet the guys at his car. Uh, Milt was fine with that. So now now you got all three of them broken up. So Barry's heading Jeez. back to the car. And you're on your, like,
0: fourth red flag. I mean, you have a dehydrated, dehydrated altitude-sick guy who's going into potential hypothermia. That's two red flags at a minimum, maybe three. Fourth one, they send him off on his own. Fifth one, these guys are going, and now they break up. One guy's going to go back. One's in the middle. One's supposedly ahead.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's not good now that the entire group is uh, separated. yeah. So you've got one guy going to the car, one guy that already left for the next spot, and then, you know, Milt is kind of in between. So And I, Milt, I do want
0: to say hindsight's
1: 50-50 because, I mean, I've been on the yeah.
0: mountain where you're, you're making decisions live in the moment, especially if it's something you do. I mean, these guys are regulars, so yep. you're going to make more mistakes where you're more comfortable almost. So if these yeah. guys have done this a lot, one guy's like, hey, not feeling up to it. I'm just going to hit back to the car. Oh, okay. Not a big deal. We've been here before. This is the easy part of the hike. Yeah, sure. You grab the tent. That's awesome. Thanks for grabbing it. Yeah. See you at the car.
1: Yeah. So I agree. And it, you know it's a short distance um, up to Lake did I say so.
0: hindsight's 50-50? <laughs> I think I, I did. I have, 50, have. 50, I have 50-50 stuck in my head <laughs> because of the <laughs> campsite. I'm like, I hope we're not seeing 50-50. All right, go on.
1: No problem. Um, So Milt walked up to Lake Helen, and when he got there, he saw between 20 and 24 campsites. So it's a pretty big camp. Uh, Milt asked the ranger overseeing the area if another man had passed through and continued to climb. And the ranger did state that one person did kind of blast through camp and kept going. Uh, so Milt kind of ran off and he started chugging up the trail and to, you know, to see if this was Carl. So he said he got within a hundred yards of this guy, but he was moving so fast. There was no way this is, this was Carl. So Milt turned back to Lake Helen. Okay. And I'm, I'm so, assuming
0: he would have recognized his, uh, like yeah, what he was clothing. wearing and stuff too. Yep. Cause I mean, you can pick people out from pretty far away.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Milt turned around and he started back through Lake Helen he kind of did one more, you know, kind of scan of the area. No sign of Carl. So now he's thinking, well, all right, Carl must have maybe wandered off the trail. He's got to be down at fifty-fifty, kind of waiting for us. Um, so he he heads back down to fifty-fifty. Gets there, nothing. Carl's and Milt's both their backpacks were still at the spot they were camping at. No Carl. So, um, you know, that short six hundred fifty feet. He somewhere, so you've got like a hundred fifty to a hundred people at Lake Helen, and you've got uh Milt and Barry at 50 50, and you've got 650 feet of trail that he could have you know he went missing on. (laughs) It it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, and that's
0: and that's where, too, immediately what I went to when I I did a little bit of the show prep, and as you know, I didn't read too much in the story because you were doing the timeline, I wanted to hear it raw. But I yeah. I wanted to get an idea of what the mountain face was like cuz I'd never been there so I was looking at photos and and looking up kind of looking up statements from other climbers that have been in the area there mm-hmm. are not significant presences of crevasses uh, nope. trees things that like shrubs that could potentially if he fell and got yeah. stuck here apparently it's basically like When it's technical, it goes up, but outside of that, it's flat and open, and there's no place to fall and hide or where a body could be lost.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, one thing that they mention when we get into kind of the summary of the search and rescue is it was all snow covered, so um, any you know weird thing that's not normal to the area would have stuck out like a a sore thumb. Sure, you like
0: you'd even trace the the footprints. Do they? Say, I know you're getting in the search, so don't go too far yeah. if you don't want to, but was it snowing during the search or before the search
1: started that it could have potentially covered him up? There was no reports of that. I, I would I would imagine that if snow had been a major problem during the search, it would have been mentioned. Okay. Um, yeah, usually so, they'll
0: yeah. say you know, search was impeded by wind or snow or drifts yep. or things like that. Okay.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the weather for this uh, search and rescue was – Pretty ideal. Yeah, and we so. had a lot
0: better records because it was very recent. So
1: Yeah. So all right, so like I said, uh Milt got down to fifty fifty. Now it you know, now it's like late afternoon. He's back at fifty fifty, no Carl. So now it's um the twenty it's May twenty-fifth, nineteen ninety-nine, about five PM. There's now another group of people huddling at fifty fifty. Um and you know, Milt, you know, talked to them. They actually had a cell phone. Um, he decided, you know, waiting another hour, he wasn't sure what to do. And then he finally decided to take his backpack. He left Carl's at 50, 50 and he took his backpack to bunny flats. He arrived at bunny flats about seven or 8 PM. So, okay. so it um, took him a couple,
0: he, it, took, it took him a couple hours. Yep. Well, actually it took him would it take him one hour, one one and a half hours to get back? Because he waited for an hour at fifty fifty, and then yeah, hiked back so it to yeah, so didn't take flats. him long. Yeah, to get yeah hike out's usually dealt like half the time, if, if even less because
1: you're going downhill. And you know he, you know, it's smart. He left Carl's, um, you know, backpack at fifty fifty in case maybe Carl got turned around and he makes it back to camp.
0: Yeah, so he gets back there and has no supplies. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Okay. Um, so now it's uh, eight p.m. and. Uh, Milt meets up with Barry at the trailhead. And at this point they notify the county sheriff's office that, you know, Carl's missing. He, you know, he, honestly, he, he was first missing these two guys first lost him probably late after late morning. Sure. So, you know, it's been, you know, several hours now since he went missing following the notification of the sheriff's office, the next morning, the 26th of May, a massive search and rescue operation kicks off, um, initially with U.S. Forest Service and the local county sheriff's office.
0: Okay, and it, I mean, from what it sounded like from before, he was talking to rangers that oversaw the area up at the lake. Yep. So they have stations there already, so yeah, it's not like they have to get up there, then begin the search. I'm sure they had guys up there immediately... Looking around, it. and I'm sure yeah. they already had a heightened sense. So, if you talk to a ranger and say, I can't find my guy, and you yep. come back through and still can't find him, I wouldn't be surprised if rangers up there were already kind of looking around.
1: Yeah, I imagine they're looking around. They're telling other climbers to keep an eye out for this guy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, initially the U.S. Forest Service and local uh, sheriff's office started the search near the trailhead. Uh, the first day of the search, Officials used the Shasta City schoolyard as their base or operations. And then, eventually, as the search started, you know, getting larger, they moved to the airport. Oh wow! And okay, yeah, it was at this point that Barry ended up calling Carl's wife, Bobby, and kind of notified her that um, he was missing. And yeah, she, if they're taking over an strange. airport
0: space and bringing out aircraft and stuff, it's now not yeah. this ground foot thing. Let's go find him. It's becoming a major operation.
1: Yeah and it it's interesting when they told carl's wife that he went missing she mentioned she's she said i had a premonition that something like this would happen so i don't know if it means anything but it seems his wife kind of you know had a weird feeling that that day that he was going to go missing that's crazy because you you always hear stories about like those connections like
0: the instant something happens someone across yep. the world like just knows it they don't know how they that like gut reaction
1: yeah so, uh, later the after, later that afternoon on the 26th, um, some mutual friends of Carl and Bobby actually, uh, flew Bobby out to Mount Shasta city to monitor the search efforts. So, um, she got out there as quick as she could. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like some of, uh, some of his other friends were out there. So you can tell, um, he was a well-liked guy. One of his friends said he had a heart of gold and would do anything for his friends. So, um, well-liked guy in the community. Um, big so big
0: rally of support for the issue and getting everyone yeah.
1: out there to really help
0: as much as they could.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Milt reflected um, on his memory of that morning, and he adamantly states that there were, like you said, there were no large crevasses in the area where Carl was hiking. There were a few large holes near some trees, but that was it. You know, he stated that there was no place for Carl to hide. He, he said he just vanished.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so. it's like it's uh, when you get above tree line, too, it's very you can see stuff. You can see a yeah. lot of stuff. And, and in a mountain like that, where it's not in the portion they were hiking from the pictures I saw, it's not aggressively steep. The hike is short. That's just it's crazy because you'd even think somebody with altered mental status due to some sort of condition yep yeah you could see them stumbling off a cliff or accidentally taking a wrong step there are no wrong steps this is a lot of flat area for a mountain to get to the next yeah. area
1: yeah so um yeah it makes no sense um so eventually later you know the next day or so i'm not sure on the timeline exactly milton barry actually hiked back up to lake helen and kind of in the main search area and they passed through 50 50 and carl's pack was still sitting there Okay. Um, So obviously, he hadn't been back to his pack, and they they talked to the Rangers at Lake Helen and confirmed they still haven't seen him. So now the search is escalating. Um, The county assigned uh, this guy with the coolest name ever uh, as SAR coordinator, Grizz Adams. (laughs) Grizz Adams. We got to get him on the show for sure. He's probably really old by now. It it sounded like back in 99 when um, he was interviewed over this search and rescue operation, he was already a veteran of search and rescue operations. Okay. <laughs> but, uh,
0: so far yeah, you haven't so, said anything that would make me not want him on the show. <laughs>
1: well, if can, he's like an old, go salty, go yeah,
0: if he's an old salty dog, that would be even better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, like I said, he was a veteran of hundreds of search and rescue operations. Um, as soon as he took over the, the, the SAR operation, he immediately ordered the Army National Guard helicopter pilot to take a group of professional climbers to the summit, and then he had each climber descend down a different route very slowly looking for Carl. So That's a really interesting
0: method. I haven't heard that before.
1: Yeah, I've never heard that either.
0: Okay, they must have trusted his ability then, too, to get to certain areas, but yeah, I mean, they're basically... Yeah. from the picture, like i said from the pictures even from the summit down you can see a lot of area so i'm guessing you thought you get cuz there's a bunch of different ways you can get up this mountain if you send yep. guys down each side you should be able to get a good vantage point either find the body or find him there huddled up somewhere
1: he all his gear was at
0: 50/50 yeah so i mean how how high would you be able to yeah, get yeah you wouldn't be able to get past the technical part at all i mean you could attempt yeah. it but there's from what it sounded like especially the ice parts it's not like yeah. you can kind of get halfway up and then you get stuck or fall off. You wouldn't even be able to make the first couple of main points because you need crampons and ice axes and things to
1: even go exactly. up. But, you know, I mean, when you're doing a search, you you try all, you know, everything. Oh, yeah. I, so, I think that's
0: good because, I mean, the the view from the top to the bottom is much easier versus then. Yeah. And a lot easier so, of a hike on your people as well, too, instead of using all their energy hiking back up. Going up. up yeah. yeah.
1: So, like I said, the climbers slowly descended in all directions down the mountain, and they found no tracks, no helmet, no ice axe. They they said no evidence that Carl was ever even on the mountain, which is kind of creepy. Yeah,
0: besides his
1: one pack that was left behind by his buddy. Yeah. So, the other weird thing about this is, like we said before, at Lake Helen, there's 20 to 24 campsites and around 50 to 100 people on the mountain in that area, yet nobody saw Carl. Wow.
0: So it's, it's okay, this is, again, different from almost every story we've had. Not yeah. only was it heavily populated, it was heavily populated at the time, in yeah. a really short time window in an extremely short distance. Yep. That's almost like, so, and, and now I'm speculating, so please don't take this as, as written word or gospel, but I feel like from the camp they were at, And from the lake camp, if you're going around that bend, people could see essentially the entire duration of the hike from both sides potentially.
1: Potentially, yeah.
0: So like there'd be very little blind spots. I'm just judging this based off of mountains I've done that have had kind of this turnaround reef to get around a different point and go a far distance. If you're looking down from the lake, I'm guessing you can see to the point where it turns. And then if you get to that turn, I'm guessing you could probably see back to the campsite at 50-50.
1: Probably, yeah. So I That's mean, what it looked like from the pictures, at least. Yeah. So there's so, very
0: little blind spots.
1: Um, so this massive uh, search and rescue operation went on for days, but they, found, they didn't find one piece of evidence that Carl, like we said, was even on the mountain. Not a piece of clothing, not human remains, nothing. Um, there was one point after Carl vanished that his friend Milt became so disturbed that he spoke with three different psychics, and ask for their assistance. So he's just like, he's grasping at straws. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. That,
0: that's gotta be so nerve wracking too, for a friend, especially somebody who's with him. Cause I mean, yeah. it's survivor's guilt, but also it's not like they made complete terrible decision. Sure. Again, hindsight is 2020. Um, yeah. yeah, they probably shouldn't have sent him off, but with such a short distance, I don't think I would have made a different decision. Especially if I saw a guy there that looked, maybe they didn't think he was that out of his mind. Maybe they thought he was just cold and said, hey, start walking so you can warm up. We'll meet you over there because it's only going to take 20 minutes for us to walk there after we pack up. You know, just, hey, I yeah, walk down the street, maybe moving around will warm you up a bit. So I wouldn't even call that a bad decision. Hindsight, yeah, a bad decision. But they're thinking about his well-being saying, hey, walk around, you'll warm up a bit. We'll We'll, we'll be right there. So that's got to be eating away at him.
1: Yeah, it's eating away at him. So he's, he's you know, trying to do anything. So he goes to these psychics and, you know, one stated that Carl was in a body of water. Another one stated that he was in a crevasse and another one said it would be many years before he was found. So, you know, none of that really They speculated made sense. at anything you could say for any mountain, for anyone missing yeah. anywhere. Only body of water really would
0: be Lake Helen. And I'm sure they searched it. Well, and with all those people there, you
1: think somebody would have saw a guy walk into the lake? Yeah. Especially in the, with the weather conditions? Yep, and there really wasn't any crevasses in the area, so yeah. obviously that's not really an option. So, um, you know, later on after this happened, Milt was asked what he thought happened to Carl, and he stated there's over a 50 for 50% chance that something very odd happened. Um, so, you know, even, even Carl or even uh, Milt just, he thinks he, you know, something really strange happened here that is unexplainable. Yeah. And, um, from everything we researched, there was not really an official, you know, explanation for what happened to Carl. Um, we've got some, just some notes from a uh, Grizz who is a veteran of over 400 SAR operations. And he said, this was one of only two, Um, operations that resulted in nothing being found of a person. So no trace of them. So it's, it's very rare. Yeah. Even in a lot
0: of the strange ones we've covered, the ones that we have slated to do in the future, they'll find a little piece of something or, or it's still unsolved mystery. Still don't know what happened, but there's a trace. The person was there in the first place. It's almost like this person was erased from history entirely. And the only thing that's left is his bag. I know <laughs> that's insane. That's yeah, totally it's totally an X file style thing that that occurred because it, it's it's they it like you said, they've mentioned several times and even Grizz noted there's a fresh blanket of snow that wasn't disturbed. That makes it incredibly easy to search. And his clothes yep. that he was wearing were bright colors that against the snow. again, very easy to search. So at this point, again, not to be morbid, but if you're thinking, okay now we're we're in we're not in rescue, we're in recovery. Not a great situation, stinks, but they expect to find something and they aren't even finding clues or hints that the person was ever on the mountain at all.
1: Yeah, it's a little spooky. Um, They even, uh, Grizz stated that they even had teams working in a grid pattern down in the forest below the mountain. So all around the mountain, they were searching as well and nothing. They didn't find anything of him. Wow. So um, yeah, it's... You know, from what I read, law enforcement generally believes that Carl went missing between Fifty Fifty and Lake Helen. But the, the question that keeps coming up when you talk to people involved in the search is where? I mean, there's nowhere for him to hide. It was less than a thousand feet to the lake. Like, where did you go? Yeah. <laughs> and he, it, he was only out of sight from his friends for 30 minutes. Well, and that's where you
0: have the guys there, too, that know the mountain like the back of their hand. And yeah. you don't have any statement saying, well, I guess he could have went off this side here and went down the mountain this way. Because a lot of times yeah. you'll have people saying, well, here's the possibilities because there's a little stream that goes down here and then it ends up in deep brush. And yep, he could have fallen in there. The resounding overall comments is there's only one way to go. Otherwise, it's yeah. just like this flat, deserty part of the mountain. It's like a crater part that's just flat, easy to traverse. And it's such a small window that it just it's baffling literally everybody that touches it that knows the mountain.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Grizz even stated that he was bothered by the fact that his searchers weren't finding any of Carl's equipment. So the logical thing that you could say happened to Carl is, you know, he succumbed to exposure, he got hypothermia, but if that was the case, you'd expect him to start ripping off layers of clothing, ditching his boots, his gloves, yeah. you know, the 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 standard thing that people do when they get hypothermia, they didn't find a single piece of a, clothing from Carl. And you have Nothing. so many witnesses. Yeah. So that's insane. Uh, yeah. It, you know, um, it was mentioned that during, you know, in the community of uh, Shasta, Mount Shasta city, that during this search, the the same f- phrase kept coming up that they, they said, it's like the mountain just opened up and swallowed him. Yeah. And that like falls you know,
0: in line with the local legends.
1: Yeah, it falls in line with the local legends of those weird beings that live under the mountain. The Lemurians. Yeah. So, you know, that's the case of Carl Herbert Landers. It's I out of all the cases we've done, this is by far the one I'm I'm struggling with trying to think of a theory that makes sense.
0: Yeah, because we've had the disappearances don't make sense, but this is such a small window, such a heavily yeah. populated area with the experience and everything all combined and then the search area not being riddled with either crevasses or super because a lot of the places that we have people go missing there's a lot of dense brush yep and that's legitimately where someone could get lost and maybe not found for many years because it's when you're bushwhacking in a mountain you can't see four feet to the sides of you so there could be a body and you don't even know you walk by it yeah but this is wide open this is just wide open space for way farther than he would have been able to walk within the amount of time that they started searching, especially
1: surviving through the night without gear. Yeah. And you got to think that it it, it was getting cold at night. It was probably in the low twenties during the day. Um, so he had had no shelter, you know, assuming maybe he, you know, was dehydrated from taking that altitude sickness medicine and he was kind of getting delirious and he wandered off. You're not going to survive very long in those. Well, and that's where I'd conditions. say the, all
0: all those red flags and all those things you just mentioned yeah. to me limits the distance he can even go. Even yeah. if he, you know, beeline straight line because he's delirious, he's not going very far in that under those circumstances. No, and living. So I mean, collapsing and and what have you, and with such a short search window beginning right there too.
1: Yeah, you yeah, would have found him right away. It's puzzling and you can't really say that he went down the mountain because his friends saw him go, you know, up towards Lake Helen. So, um, yeah, I just, I think you can rule out animal attack. Um, there's, you know, black bears and coyotes, but those are at lower elevations. Yeah.
0: The elevations are at, made sound like that. That's not a huge issue. I mean, maybe with that many people and food,
1: uh, it's possible, Possible, but but still, I, I say highly unlikely. Yeah, I think, um, I think the fact, you know, I would I, I think um, hypothermia would have been high on my list, but the fact that he, you know, they didn't find a single piece of clothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that normally I would me. say that... uh, frozen or you know, yeah. altitude sickness wander off course, froze and, and died somewhere off trail. But then again, it's that sh- the openness and the shortness of the distance is what's really baffling. Yeah. Now, have we gone through? And I don't want to go down a road of uh, accusations or anything, but to me, I think it has to be vetted out. Are we guaranteed that all three of them were together when they got to the mountain? Um, so, is there reports of people at fifty fifty that have seen all three of them together? So, I'm almost wondering, you know, not even saying foul yeah. play, the friends, but did he never go? And there's a cover up. It, did they bring? bags and strategically leave his backpack there and then go report he's missing i would assume um, <clears throat> i know I'm, I'm getting in crazy hollywood theories because i don't know so it's like does he owe a gambling debt to the mob
1: and they have to make him dis- <laughs> his friends are like helping him disappear or something Yeah. no i mean you do need a permit to summit mount shasta and you can only get that by going to the ranger station so i'm assuming because yeah,
0: they don't record names initially but you do sign in
1: yeah i'm assuming that they, he, at the, at a minimum, checked in. Okay, because otherwise they wouldn't even search and say, you don't even have that guy here. Yeah, he wasn't in your... So, at a minimum, he checked in. Now, you know, that... I mean, what's crazier? The theory you just mentioned or that beings living in the mountains swallowed him up? Well, I mean. Or that he <laughs> vanished. I mean, it's 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 all
0: possible. It's Or they checked in and it was all part of some plan to get him gone for whatever
1: reason. Yeah. Honestly... That, while as far out there as you can be, besides, you know, I alien think it beings is. eating him. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that might be, a, you know, one of the more logical explanations for what happened to him. Yeah. Um, maybe he lived a double life and he, uh, you know, had some debts or, you know, something was going wrong. And he had to kind of like that Arvin Nels- Nelson guy.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Like we think it ends up being maybe like a sec
0: thing. sec thing. I mean, what else could it possibly be? I, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's quite literally all things lined up perfectly, and there's like a tiny little snowdrift that covered him up, and no searcher or the hundreds of people found him. And, and no like, one in the last 20 years has found ex- him. Yeah. Or that. Or I mean, you think about supernatural you, I mean, beings took him off the mountain into the mountain itself. Or, right. yeah, or, yeah, he's in hiding and his buddies, you know, lifelong friends helped him do it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, it's, I think those are all crazy and all on the table.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I really do. You know, do. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that theory. So that,
0: uh. It kind of hit me coming up because as, <laughs> it, it hit me because I didn't read as in depth. And after yeah. you're going over the statements from Grizz and other authorities and other people hiking the mountain. Yep. And. Yeah, I even saw in your notes they had could ever sniffing dogs. Oh and dogs yeah, I forgot come to in. mention that. So like that that too. Like they didn't have significant weather changes from when they brought
1: out the dogs. Yeah, to no smell stuff, them.
0: and they no picked up scent at all.
1: Yeah, which you know we when we talked to, um, and that's
0: uh, honestly that's when I thought too. Like okay, did he check in and did he ever actually go up the mountain
1: at all? Yeah, I mean, and we did when we talked to the search and rescue director from Colorado. He did mention that. You know, the cadaver sniffing dogs, yeah, they have a really powerful scent. But if the area gets contaminated with other hikers and people, it can get really hard for them to pick up a scent. Yeah. So, gotta, we gotta, you know, mention that. Take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. Those dogs are amazing in what they can smell, but it the, it can, the area can get contaminated to the point where they they can't pick up a scent. Sure. So. But, you know, adding that into everything else, I mean, you had client, you had professional climbers coming down the mountain. Yeah. I wonder how the cold and the altitude plan
0: that because of also
1: you hear the other side where these
0: dogs will follow a scent for seven miles of someone who was in a car yeah. to like a specific building and then they find a body there.
1: Yeah. So, like, uh, but,
0: but it's also not in at altitude on a mountain in snow either. Like yeah. I'm sure that affects it greatly
1: as well. Oh, Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, so you, like I said you've got professional climbers that came down from the summit. You have a you had an Army National Guard helicopter pilot that I'm sure was doing uh, you know, searching from the air. You had search and rescue people down in the forest below the mountain um working in a grid pattern, you know, all the way around the mountain and no one found anything. And now nothing. 20
0: years of high activity on a mountain
1: Twenty years, probably every year, being coming more and more active. Oh sure, yeah. I the, mean, the, you don't want to think about this, but on Everest, they've been finding more and more bodies as you know, climate change makes the planet warmer. Things are melting, and you know, things are appearing. So, you've got to assume it's warmer on Mount Shasta now than it was twenty years ago.
0: If something happened where he got snowed in, more and more
1: people are getting out in national parks
0: and doing things maybe they shouldn't. So I'm I'm guessing there's a bunch of people that maybe don't even summit the mountain, but hike out to the lake to camp.
1: Yeah, that's something
0: I would definitely do if I lived in that area. I
1: am fully on board the Joe train with this theory now. (laughs) I think uh, I think he never was even on the mountain. So you think like he checked in at the office or got the permit
0: checked in, and I think I think he's hanging out with
1: Arvin. Yeah, him
0: and Arvin are in wet together. <laughs> I but, mean, uh, what else like, could it do you, be? Do you think maybe? Do you think so? Let's let's look at it this way because I don't want to. I don't always want to paint somebody's bad. Like maybe it's a safety thing. Like for some reason he had to, and his buddies are helping him out for his own good, and yeah. he didn't do anything wrong. But maybe I don't know. He witnessed something he shouldn't have, yeah, or I don't know, and now they're helping him quietly because they think the authority- like let's go full Hollywood. They can't yeah. talk to the cops because what he saw was like something the cops were doing, so his buddies are now in this heroic mission to we're going to check in, we're going to climb this mountain where we have this great backstory, yeah, I'm going to bring your bag up to camp, and by the next day we're going to report you missing yeah, and that's that's like that seems. That's Super seems, insane. It seems it's, super insane, but... It would like be insane may, in
1: any other circumstance. It,
0: yeah, but it, it kind of answers the question of what happened very well.
1: That's I mean, the search and rescue only people... only have his bag there. That's why there's no yeah.
0: trace I mean, this, of him anywhere
1: else. The search and rescue uh, people mention that it's like he never was even on the mountain.
0: Yeah, and that's so, that's kind of what struck out to me is is yeah. odd. And then when the dogs couldn't pick up anything, again, like you said, grain of salt, they might have not just did it, but yeah. his bag's there, but he's not, and he yeah. never was potentially.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's I. I think I'm on board with your theory. All right, just because none of the other theories make sense. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm gonna try and reach out to Grizz. <laughs> We'll do another. We'll do one of our, our shortened episodes if you get a hold of him. I would yeah, love absolutely. to. Yeah, absolutely. That, talk that to would him. be
0: great. Just because I'd, I'd love to get his. Maybe he's off now and can be a little bit more open about opinions. Because a yeah. lot of times, you know, they'll be more PC about what they think. Yep. Um, but if he's not working for SAR anymore or, or anything like that, maybe after 20 years of dwelling on it, like you said, he's only had two ever yeah. at that point at least in his 400 career. I'm sure this is one that sticks with a guy like that. Like, oh, yeah. What did
1: what did we miss? What did we not do that we couldn't find this guy? These guys take pride in, you know, finding, yeah. you know, every single person that goes missing. I mean, that's, you know, they don't, they're not going to sleep until they find you. Well, so to I, have I mean, a case was, where they. I was
0: a medic and a firefighter and it was, yeah. it's more than a job. It's, it's, it's literally a mission. And, and each case, each call, each medical emergency you go to, it's, it's personal to a certain degree of, mm-hmm. You know we're gonna work hard to do right by this. So if there was somebody, if my job was search and rescue and on arguably one of the easier mountains to search, not saying you can always rescue, but at least recovery, and not find a single trace of that person, that's gotta be like may almost make you go insane about what did I do wrong? What did we miss? What what could have happened?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. This is a a very bizarre case, and I don't think we'll ever. Truly know what happened to Carl. Yeah. Um, All but. right. In closing, yeah, I think the Hollywood,
0: the p- positive Hollywood. He <laughs> saw something he shouldn't have. His buddies are heroically helping him go into hiding. Yeah. As an as an unsolved missing person's case. Honestly, that's that's where I'm at. That's that's it. That's my theory.
1: Yeah, and I think that second theory is he was swallowed up by the mountain. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that's it. <laughs> so. Um, well, Joe, I think, uh, we've been talking long enough here. Um, once again, thank you for tuning into, uh, locations unknown. If you want to help support the show, you can go onto our Facebook page and uh, pick up a couple of our hats and bumper stickers. And we also have a Patreon page where you can, donate money to the show yeah we'll take anything
0: (laughs) (laughs) even constructive criticism yes especially that um so yeah definitely check out our facebook page twitter youtube are we anywhere else now those are the big three instagram linkedin yes (laughs) oh yeah we do have a linkedin profile we do i do i I think i forget to post there a lot because i mean really but all right
1: so check all of (laughs) check all the socials out we're on all of them and uh, leave, leave comments about the show. And if you have any uh, um, ideas on shows we should do, let us know. And uh, just once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.